Nice arms. Here, let me show you how you lift it. Well, since you're new. On grand. Thanks. Sure, she's only showing him the ropes. Okay, bend the knees. Yeah, right down. Uh, uh, can you stop touching me? He can look after himself. Relax, will you? I'm only showing you how it's done. Most men would be delighted with the attention. Will you stop? Let's stop excusing sexual harassment and sexual violence. Enough is enough. Learn more at gov.ie forward slash no excuses or in an emergency call 999. everybody, I'm Chloe Maidley and welcome back to the podcast series three. For those of you that don't know, this is the podcast where I speak to professional athletes, coaches, physique competitors and all experts in the field of health and fitness. I'm really excited that you guys are joining me. So without further ado, here we go. Hello everybody and welcome back to the podcast series three. So today on the podcast, I have a fellow PT and online coach who I actually met through my business partner, Emma Story Gordon. He is an ex-competitor, what I would call a pretty impressive uh, bodybuilder, although I'm not sure how he would refer to himself, but we can ask that in a minute. He's a fantastic coach who not only gets clients happy and healthy, but he also gets clients stage ready. But the main reason that I wanted to get him on today is because he is the first man in the physique world to ever really make me think about male body image. And I cannot wait to dive into this with him. Welcome to the podcast, Dan. How are you? Amazing. Thank you for having me. No, I'm really, really well. I think an honest answer is it's a bit weird in this old Corona coaster, but Overall, I'm very, very well. Thank you. Just even that answer is, I think, something to be celebrated. James and I went for a a dog walk today and I was telling him that I was having you on and kind of what the crux of the conversation was going to be. And I wanted to ask him, you know, as somebody who's got a great physique and has always really prided himself on his physique about his take on male body image. And really funny, we just kept coming back round to like, the times at the moment being in lockdown and the anxiety and how everybody's like hyper-focused on things and we'll get into all of this later but yeah I mean I think anyone who can say they're doing okay in lockdown three is doing very well yeah (laughs) okay so I guess introduce yourself and tell everybody who you are and what you do yeah I suppose on top of I think the interesting thing you'll probably find this as a PT anything other than PT feels like quite conceited <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know when yeah. you try and explain to someone what you're doing at a wedding back when we could socialize it would always revert back to so you're a PT so yeah. essentially that <laughs> so I first got in the industry approaching 15 years now and I started as your your level two doing your I guess in the trenches stuff wiping sweat down off machines doing health MOTs with clients working with really difficult people um, also <laughs> some amazing people but those are the ones you learn the greatest lessons from I developed a real passion for performance sport as well. So a lot of my time at university, whilst I was personal training, I did some voluntary work with our performance centre there. I did some work with TAS, which was Talented Athlete Scholarship Scheme, supporting athletes through university. And long story short, while I was PTing through university, I was going to stay on to do a post-grad and an opportunity came up at Sarazen's Rugby Club. I I joined there as an SNC intern and, well... It was a baptism of bants, let's just say, <laughs> which I'm sure your husband would tell you. Literally, I grew rhino skin that year. So that was, yeah. um, I think that was a great experience just from learning how to communicate with people on different levels because athletes especially are super adherent and effectively, and in the politest sense, robots, they will, mm. they will do what you, you tell them to because they, they have that added incentive. Working with general population and behaviour change is much more complex when you're with an athlete and you say to them, do X, Y, and Z, and you will get the result, they'll do it. I mean, yeah. it's that simple. They will do it. But <laughs> yeah. when you actually then have to, and it, and it works, I think, as well. Like, for me, I used to be like that, but I'm not now. But when you actually get gem pop, like, real human, complex, interesting clients, oh, my God, the minefield is so much more more vast. Do you find that you kind of, you're equal parts a mental coach as well as a physical coach? I think so. I speak, I think especially the last year, um, when you get down to the crux of it, I think we're all potentially duped when we get into the industry into thinking that it's, it's hugely and most importantly a physical thing initially. Mm. And then it's, oh, do you know what? Nutrition's the game changer. But actually, if you can't get to the foundations of how your clients tick, 
from an adherence point of view, but not just an adherence point of view, but what they value in life, what they hold dear, because those are huge environmental factors that are going to influence how adherent they are as well. Mm. It's, it's only once then can you come together with pragmatic solutions for them. You know, yeah. if someone's, if family life is something hugely important in someone's life, then you want to incorporate that as much as possible. It doesn't matter what the ideal plan looks like for that person. If that involves them ostracising themselves from social dinner times, that's just a plan that isn't going to work long term. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so let's just go back to the beginning. I know that growing up, you really struggled with your weight. Can you talk about this, talk about your childhood and the beginning stages of your kind of body image awareness? Yeah, I think it's... It was more heightened probably in my teenage years. I think everyone to a certain degree experiences that where you're kind of struggling to find your place in the world anyway. Yeah. Uh, And I think that was potentially exacerbated by my appearance, which like most comes from a myriad of factors, uh, with cultural influence as well. I have a Mediterranean background. All my family derived from Northern Cyprus is very (laughs) much a part of that culture is if you know anything about meds, they're very good when they get together and they eat. It's also a part (laughs) of uh, that caregivers love giving almost and part of the reciprocating that love is finishing everything on your plate and taking what's offered to you often um so it wasn't really until secondary school that was highlighted to me I guess I obviously had that awareness but if you are a person of a larger body someone telling you fat is not news you you already know yourself this so my first experience with weight stigma I guess he's going to the doctors about an ingrained toenail at 15, weighing in at 15 stone. And to almost directly quote what she said to me is, you are fat and you need to lose weight, which... Cool. Thanks. Let's work on your bedside manner. (laughs) 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 Which actually, surprisingly, it didn't motivate me to change. What it in fact did is it forced me to retreat, withdraw from health-seeking behaviour. Physical activity definitely wasn't on my radar because I was too embarrassed to do that. And... The comfort that I found in food, I sought to do just more of that until probably an, an epiphany moment in my my latter years. If you've ever, have you watched Just Friends with Ryan Reynolds? Yeah, of course. Yeah, that was that was essentially that. That's that's a documentary on my childhood. <laughs> right. Okay. Got to start strength training, and I guess for the first time with f- physical change, I was like, oh my god, this is strength training. It actually, <laughs> can do quite a lot physically from an aesthetics point of view, and began to acknowledge changes in myself and probably for the first time in my life really had those changes acknowledged by other people which then becomes that self-fulfilling valid external validation process where those little dopamine spikes from people passing you compliments yeah which you quite easily fall into that trap of finding it very rewarding and then Mm. I guess finding it difficult to let go who doesn't like being complimented for example this is a very, very interesting point to touch on because the funny thing is, is that in the time, the moment when it's happening, it's great. Like you're working really hard. You like how you look. Other people are like, oh my God, you look amazing. And it's great. It's fantastic. It's later. It's a check in the post. Later down the line, does it start to create a whole host of problems? And again, we we will touch on it. The reason why I want to build your past is because I think then it'll give context to a lot of the things that we're going to end up talking about. But it's very uh, interesting, the damage that something so well-intentioned from everybody, including yourself, initially can turn into something quite oppressive so then talk to me about your transition into competing and how was your experience with competing and preps and would you ever do it again talk to me about that aspect of it yeah so I suppose why this came up as as a relevant thing is what I'm always conscious of and super conscientious about on social media is that people are inundated with these these social evangelized extremes which are blanketed as in health quotations which your listeners won't see (laughs) health I know health is a subjective term, so it's physique, broadly speaking, are the realms in which it's no longer about us. Well, it's about aesthetics, but you you then overstep that line in which your return of investment is, in my my opinion, no longer worth it because Mm -hmm. we're in the business of health and health promoting activities and possibly, and I'm not even saying photo shoot lean, when you delve into the the depths of single figure body fat levels. It's strange because physique sport is the only sport I can think of on the planet where it is an acceptable norm that you get worse 
the closer you get to competition. It's accepted norm that you feel worse, you perform worse, you're weaker, etc. And everything else that goes with it. And that's part of the process, which is mind boggling if you think about it. So I guess my, my process was with the performance goals that I had is... And I, I do have a tendency, and I have recognised, especially in my early twenties, I do have perfectionist traits. Yeah. And I do have, I do have, I can have a tendency to fall into certain compulsions. So it's quite an easy pathway for me because I found the sacrifice, the discipline, the compromise, and all that. I revelled in that challenge. Yeah. To an outsider, and I guess you know what you better understand with the experience is that's not normal. But in this echo chamber where everything like that is normalised, you know, eating out of Tupperware 20, 20 meals a week, cold, something that's been sitting in the fridge for four days is perfectly normal, you know. <laughs> Actually, just to touch on one thing that you've said, like photo shoot lean, which is the kind of level of lean that I get to versus stage lean are, I mean, worlds apart. And the kind of... The kind of dieting and training regime and how much it took over my life just to get photo shoot ready was, I mean, it was all consuming and very, very oppressive and very draining in a very chaotic sense. That's the, mm. the best way I can explain it. And I can't imagine how much further you have to push yourself to get stage lean, which is a fair few percent for male men and women below kind of what I was doing as a, as a fitness model. And I mean, when you look back at that period of your life now, how do you feel about it? Um, I, I take it. I take everything as a learning experience, in honesty. I think you have to rather than my greatest failures are my biggest lessons that I can potentially pass on to others. Yeah. Which is what I I like to, I've had very successful dieting experiences. And actually my last show was, I I didn't feel like that. The only reason why I decided that was it is because, you know, anyone that is involved in aesthetic sports will realize that it's quite a selfish pursuit. My uh, daughter was on her way and I I kind of, I I got to that point, I didn't want to do it. It came to show day and I thought, you know, as as with any sort of endeavor, you have to really want to do that to make the sacrifices necessary. Otherwise it's just not worth it. But it's, um, it's effectively controlled starvation as well. That, that's where you're at that point. From that point of photo shoot beyond that, it's controlled starvation and actually just pushing your mind beyond everything else because everything physiologically is pushing back. You know, your blink rate slows, your heart rate slows, you feel the cold more, your knee as a subconscious thing goes down, you park closer to places. I remember yeah. driving to the shops for a day out one day and I just I had sleep in the car. And I think that was the moment in which it started to hinder life and doing all the other things that gave me happiness that I just thought, yeah, maybe I don't do this. And if if I'm going to help others do it, I'm not going to decide that experience is for them because that's one of my biggest peeves on social media at the moment because everyone's experiences are their own. But if I can help them go into that process a little bit more informed about something they might come across, not necessarily will, but what could, because everything else is so glamorized, then I feel that's my my duty and my responsibility. Uh, Yeah, and I I, I second that, and I I, I will ask you about that. Today's €2.90 wrap of the day is the spicy veggie one, guaranteed to cause flavour envy. Picture a soft tortilla wrap filled with... Mmm, delicious crispy veggie dippers. Oh, I've heard it's vegan too. Um, That spicy relish looks good. Today's €2.90 spicy veggie one. So big on flavour, everyone will want some. Only at McDonald's. From 11am. There's a gaggle of monsters you'll see around town, in every colour from bright pink to brown. And just like us, they have hopes, dreams and wishes. A new car, new windows, a holiday diving with fishes. They know just where to go for their dreams to come true. The local credit union who can help you out too. For all of your dreams that are big, small or strange, we've got you covered with our Monster Loan range. Monster Loans from the Credit Union. Imagine more. Loans are subject to approval. Terms and conditions apply. If you do not meet the repayments on your loan, your account will go into arrears. This may affect your credit rating, which may limit your ability to access credit in the future. Credit unions in the Republic of Ireland are regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. I guess let's start with social media. Did you or do you feel, and I and we can have a conversation about this like we have a couple times, like in order to be taken seriously in our industry to our audience on social media, we need to prove that we are either in shape 
or if not now, that we have been and we can do it. Do you feel that pressure to display your best physique to make a point? Not anymore. I used to. I, I felt that was very much part of the process. And even if I reflect back now and people, the most respected people that I'm still friends with in the industry, they built the foundations of that following and their influence elsewhere based on their body, you know, even if they don't get their body out now, and I'm not going to name names because that would be quite embarrassing, but but (laughs) mutual friends of ours, you know, they've built an audience and that's unfortunately, the sad truth that is that it does open doors to opportunities. I mean, if I think back to, I won't name the expo, my first expo. um, (laughs) There we can all guess. (laughs) (laughs) Essentially there is what I can reflect on now as, as a bit of me feeling quite humiliated and uncomfortable at that did eventually open doors to speaking opportunities, which is what I always really wanted to get in the industry for, having the opportunity to have positive impact on people. So I, I think it's important from a point of view, as a shared experience, if that's what you're promising people from a business standpoint, I, th- I do feel you need to demonstrate that. And that doesn't, yeah. need, that doesn't need to go down the road of physique competition, by the way. You know, yeah. I, not everyone has to do that. But I think if, for example, you're, trying to advertise the ability of getting people in photo shoot condition it's probably a helpful thing to do and also I think it's it's a massively empowering thing to do because again when I I say refer to aesthetics I'm thinking about the extreme ends which is physique competition photo shoot it's quite possible and inspirational for people to get in photo shoot condition and not sacrifice Mm -hmm. their health I definitely don't want listeners to listen to this and think that to get in that shape they're at the sacrifice of all their health No, but this is the thing. And this is why I still come back to like, much like you, I have those like obsessive tendencies. And when I first, this, it all snowballed in a very positive, positive way. And I don't want anyone to think that we're bashing physique competitions or, or sport in any way, shape or form. It was very, very positive. I started training. I fell in love with lifting. Um, I started Olympic lifting and I just was like, as somebody who's quite an anxious person, it made me very present. Like in my teen years, I used to dance like at Pineapple Studios three days a week and it, I'm pretty sure it kept me mentally sound through my exams. Um, it made me present and it was methodical and it was fun and it was energetic. And I had this thing with training and I started to love it. And then I thought, well, and I remember saying to my ex-boyfriend who's a bodybuilder, like, oh, I don't really see my body changing, but I can feel it changing. He was like, well, you need to change your diet. And I was like, well, okay, I'll do that. Like, let's let's try it. And it worked. And, and I fell in love with it. And again, then the compliments start and then you start to feel great. And if you have obsessive compulsive tendencies, you can actually get great fulfillment out of that kind mm. of, you know, dig in and that kind of drive and discipline. And then what en- ends up happening, and everybody that I speak to says this, unless they're genetically somebody who's naturally quite lean or has quite a nice muscle mass on them or has been training for since they were you know a a kid or an adolescence what tends to happen is is you get tired and you kind of want to step back a bit but then at this point now all of your Mm self-worth your whole reputation potentially the career that you've built and this is what happened to me all of it hinges for me in my head at the time on whether or pressure. not I had abs. Love itself yeah. Those pressure. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get into a very, very tricky spot where it becomes quite mentally damaging. So, I mean. Do you ever feel the pull to go back there? Yeah, I do. I feel often, you know, like sometimes if I'm going to make a point, especially if I'm disagreeing with somebody about something to do with, with kind of what we do, physique science. I kind of feel the need that in order to prove my point, I just have to get shredded again. Mm-hmm. Even though that's neither here nor there, you know, especially when it comes to kind of an evidence-based approach. But I find it really interesting. And I I did want to ask you, like, is there ever a point where you think, well, maybe I should just go back and do that again, just to kind of, I don't know, give myself a bit more worth here, a bit more weight with what I'm saying. Mm. Yeah, I, I do in a way, probably not the physique, in honesty. I've got no, like, I don't feel compelled to do that at all. Certainly from a photo shoot, I still have aesthetic goals from time to time. I don't want anyone, again, I don't want anyone to think I'm bashing physique goals here. That, that's essentially my business. That's what I help people do. Yeah. And I also do that myself from time to time. You know, I get to a point where I'm potentially a little bit dissatisfied with what I see in the mirror. And then I decide I'm going to rein things in. But Having done everything awfully, I, I think I found the sweet spot into how to That's do it ethically spot. and do it comfortably. I, I think part of it for me is is just speaking about my experiences, almost identity assassination. 
getting rid of Dan the bodybuilder, you know, and, and for a good few years after I stopped doing that, that's still what a lot of conversation revolved around when I'd bump into people mm. is almost, and it's a conversational thing that people don't, people don't do it as a, as a point of being, making you feel uncomfortable or being unkind. It's when's the next comp? Or yeah, and you're like, are you doing a photo shoot soon? And, you're like, and then all of a sudden you start dissecting that. You're like, okay, well, does it look like I'm, does, yeah. like, what, what's, what's prompted that? Do I need to do that? And you do start, obviously your rational mind takes over eventually. I, I do feel like I, I want to do things like that occasionally, but I think you know, I'd be in a much better mindset and that I'd be more, I'd be happier without having to go to those extremes. Well, this is what I, so one of the questions I skipped over, but I suppose it's appropriate to ask you now, what is your relationship like now with training, food and your body image? Where are you with with it all in a practical and mental sense? Um, I think I've got a very healthy relationship now as well. I think if you work in the nutrition space, you, you do tend to, unfortunately, as a subconscious thing, look at food like the matrix is just code where you've you've dealt with it for so long it's like you look at a plate of food well that's roughly 450 calories unfortunately so that that's that's both a a gift and a curse I think in that regard but I definitely recognize the performance side of things a little bit more and the mental health benefits I've certainly put less pressure on myself I've got a more compassionate approach to myself and my own behaviors with it if yeah. I can train, I have I have my certain non-negotiables for the week, and then anything above that's a bonus. But if I don't get a session in, you know, I won't I won't feel upset or sad about that. I quite comfortably enjoy dessert. You know, we <laughs> sit in and we enjoy dinner as a family all the time. That's a really integral part, and because of that, I'm very conscious my place as a role model. Yeah. Um, especially to to my daughter, because yeah, I'm conscious of what people are exposed to and the negative impact that could have. So. If I do track my food and it is necessary for me at that time to weigh my food, she doesn't see that. She obviously doesn't see me jumping on the scales every day. Body preoccupation and body checking, which is quite a prevalent thing with people who are got symptoms of body dissatisfaction, that pinching, that groping, that, you know, do I look fat using that that terminology in front of her and things like that. I'm very cautious of that. I'm probably more at ease with that relationship than I ever have been. But I do recognise just as certain personality traits that I can quickly get quite, I don't want to say obsessed, but I definitely have certain compulsions to do things at my best. And I think that comes from having a bit of a competitive background and having those tendencies already as well. But that's part of it too. I mean, I mean, I've written here, I got asked by a client today why I didn't simply maintain my most shredded shape, given that, you know, I'm a huge fan of reverse dieting. Not, I think a lot of people have, have I didn't actually realize this till today when Emma told me why people are really anti-reverse dieting, because there's this myth that you can go into some crazy, like 5,000 calorie surplus and get in the best shape of your life. Yeah. And I was like, but that's not what reverse dieting is. And she, she was like, yeah, I know, but that's what a lot of people are reading it yeah. as. And I was like, but that's okay. But I'm a really big metabolism. fan. Yeah. If you can churn over that's those sort of calories and not your weight not move, there's something up. There's something. But, well, you found the magic lamp, let's be yeah. honest. Um, but, but obviously, I mean like the real actual reverse dieting, which means coming up to maintenance slowly and maintaining a lower level mm. of body fat. Um, so I'm a fan of that. And this client was asking me why I didn't just simply maintain my most shredded shape. And, you know, of course, I know how to do it, but I had to explain that there does actually come a tipping point, be it to gain muscle mass, which especially if you're a woman, you're, you're, you're going to have a better job at it if you've got a little bit more body fat in terms of your training and your recovery, or just going on like a, a, a two-week holiday, which, let's be honest, likely is going to require a bit of a calorie surplus to be enjoyable. Mm. And these things, you're going to gain a bit of body fat. But when she asked me, I immediately felt like a failure for for not maintaining my physique, not having maintained my physique as her coach. And it really, I was really shocked. And I Mm. kind of had to stop and look inside myself and be like, wow, what just happened there? Do you have experiences like that? You kind of touched on the fact that someone will be like, oh, are you doing a shoot? Oh, are you competing? And you'll be like, oh, uh, should I? Wait, what? Like, do you have that kind of thing? Yeah, I think everyone naturally does. I probably, it doesn't, it doesn't take up much headspace. And I think as a self-reflective thing, as a coach anyway, as the same as I would encourage from clients, it's sometimes just acknowledging those feelings of discomfort and those thoughts as a passing thing rather than trying to dwell on them. Because mm. again, if it's something that you've dedicated a lot of your life to, naturally it makes sense that, you know, that would take up part of your brain space for a little bit. But 
it's again back to the return on investment, isn't it? I think it's if it's at the sacrifice of all the other things in life, especially in current circumstances, we're all trying to find a bit of joy wherever we possibly can. If that means turning down a drink of a weekend or turning down dessert, I just I'm not prepared to do that. And I, I think you do have to quantify it and you do have to balance it out in your mind. And I think balance is an important thing to consider there as well, because the, the truth of it is, if you want to excel at anything, you think of anything lifestyle related, business related or physique related, there is a point where those scales are tipped and at that time it's for a specific purpose but then you've got to kind of check yourself and decide whether it's actually worth it yeah and it i think people don't realize that how much hard work it takes and what it actually feels like when you get there and and i like what you said you know a couple questions back which is i think a lot of us do really have to go through that to to see before then we can find our kind of quote-unquote balance do you ever look at kind of your peers or people in the industry and feel like a a surge of competitiveness for you to kind of push you back into that space um i can honestly say and not not just to contradict your point but i don't at the moment and i'm quite at ease with that because i think as well once you've done it many, many, many times, is you know yeah. what's in, involved in that process. Yeah. And again, yeah. it comes back to the, is it, is it worth it for me? Like, obviously, you'll have your genetic outliers. Like, for me, I have, to, I have to occasionally try a bit harder. I, th- I think for the most part, like I, I exercise, I love to exercise. I still have performance goals. I eat very healthily. But there will yeah. be times where body fat creeps up a little bit. I might, I don't religiously weigh myself, but I might jump on the scales and find myself, right, I'm three kilos heavier than I thought I was. Maybe we do something about this. And <laughs> I, do, I do have to try. I do have yeah. to, because obviously that, that programming and that subconscious act of quantifying my intake, don't get me wrong, there's a level of self-deception there. Like, you know, n- none of us plough through that tub of Ben and Jerry's and tell, us it's gr- tell ourselves it's great for fat loss at that time. <laughs> as much as we tell ourselves at the time I didn't think of it that way of risking your life going to work but seeing my colleagues pass away in our own ICU it's just heartbreaking please stick with us for a while and just make our lives a little bit easier and then we can all be together again behind every case there's a story protect yourself and each other be antiviral Hear more at antiviralireland.com. Supported by the Government of Ireland. Um, yeah, so occasionally I find I do find it harder than some others, but that's just, I think that's, you know, we're not any special than our clients in that regard, as in, you know, we have to apply ourselves and try if that's what we really want to, if we're properly at ease where we're at. Less so, but I, I definitely don't feel as comp- competitive with that stuff. Um, yeah, that that just goes... I'm not saying I never do. I don't feel as. As, but that just goes to show a bit of wisdom and a bit of kind of t- time under your belt in terms of doing this. I, I want to move on really specifically to social media. And I, I think we might have a different take on this having read your posts, but I'm not entirely sure. So I feel like social media in for our industry the health and fitness community <laughs> um i feel like it, it is becoming and kind of has become quite a toxic place in the last couple of years there seems to be this big growing attack culture that diet is culture developing or anti yeah. culture well we can talk about diet culture which is obviously a huge bugbear of mine and emma's um and exactly kind of what you said don't project your negative experiences onto mm. everybody else it's just ridiculous i've had really happy diets and i've had horrible diets and mm. you know it, it, it depends on a number of factors and i've had clients who've loved the process and clients who've hated the process and there's that but i feel like there's just also this big i don't even know like what how to term it this big kind of angry movement in health and fitness where everybody's either right or you're wrong and if you're not in our camp you're over there and I feel like the pressure is definitely starting to get on top of a few different kind of coaches and PTs that I know how how are you finding the the health and fitness community on social media of late honestly Mm. weird cliquey yeah exactly all those things that you've just said it's um I feel like at the moment no one even cares what's right as long as they're seen to be right or they're associated with the crowd that are right that are the most popular it's a it's very much that uh, elevation by association i feel 
as in people don't their values don't align their ethos and their coaching philosophies don't align but they almost associate with certain people in the hope that they'll catch some of their success or catch some of their following it's I mean, I feel a little bit removed from it and I do that intentionally. I don't watch a bunch of stories. I don't follow a bunch of people and I, I tend to remove myself from a little bit of the negativity. But as friends do, when stuff <laughs> frustrates you, you end up sharing it in your groups and exposing yourself to it anyway. Um, yeah. But I definitely feel it's, yeah, it's, it's an odd space, which I'm just super conscientious with my own messaging, which is, again, why I, I like to share the nuance. And if I share amazing physique changes with my clients it'll always be the other things they've, they've gained so like they've, they've enhanced their relationship with their food or they couldn't believe how easy it was just focusing on a couple of processes and yeah all these other positives to it because there is very much and diet culture versus anti-diet culture at the moment it's a strange space yeah and that health is no longer at the at the, the focal point of it i agree and i feel like specifically mental health is mm. no longer in anybody's consideration. And I think we should all have learnt by now, surely, the impact that social media can have on mental health. And the irony that there are some people who are working in the health and fitness industry who are quite clearly having a negative impact on others' mental yeah. health. And it's it's tough to see and it's tough to stand by. And I completely agree with you you know, it's become less about sharing a really positive message that will help people and more about being right. And that really, really bothers me. Can I just interrupt you just one second? Yeah. Sorry to interrupt, because I just wanted to, because I think it's unfair not to include them. There are certain medics as well. Yeah. It's not just the fitness space. You know, there's there's a lot to be said for shaking up that hornet's nest and directing it somewhere and then just taking a step back and letting the damage do its thing. But there's also... A lot of people calling out Dubai influencers for sharing certain products, but there are also a whole lot of medics promoting less than helpful practices to their audience just because it's a self-serving narrative and it's what they've built that following base off of. Even if that message that they're sharing is is potentially harmful, I think, and negligent, but no one's really calling those out. And I think sometimes if you've got a much smaller following and you're a health professional in that field is you can't challenge those people because their audience will just swallow you up. Yeah, I could not agree more. I think it's a a really important point to make. I think there's a, this is what I mean. There's this like attack culture, there's this fear culture, and there's an element of, it doesn't matter about mental health, certainly. I actually don't even think it's really that much about physical health. And again, I think it's more about growing a following and making your mark, having a shtick. This mm. is my shtick and yeah. I'm sticking to it. Oh God, that was such an awful pun that I had today. Um, oh, that's good. <laughs> but there is, there is, I've seen two that would come to mind, uh, medics on Instagram who are really pushing, even even actually, and, and this is something that they all share, inciting a bit of a riot in their audience mm. just to have some content to put them in a certain light. And that's quite horrifying when you think about our industry and what we're meant to be doing, which is helping people feel better. And let's be honest, a lot of people come to to us to be like, I want to look better. I want to feel better. I want to move better. That, you know, uh, that looking better is part of it. Like at All Lump It is. And what we're trying to do is spread, is spread really good information and really, and really kind of helpful information. And yeah, I mean, I'm feeling it. I was, what I was going to say is that I woke up the other day next to James and I was like, I think I figured out why I've been feeling so anxious. And he was like, why? And I was like, social media. Mm. It's like just turned into this dog-eat-dog world. Yeah, uh, it's, it's it's definitely an issue, I think. And I, I could only speak for myself, of course, but of a generation that experienced life before social media. Yes. Oh, yeah, you're completely right. It is is something that generations to come, and I think of even my daughter's age, is that they won't know any different. And I can't help but think it's this this beast that we're feeding and probably how cigarettes were marketed back in the 40s. We don't know the health implications just yet. We can see signs of it. We kind of recognise that too much of it is unhelpful. But it's also, I think it's got the unfathomable possibility of doing some harm to future generations, not just the comparative nature of things, but the fact that it's the last thing that we look at before we go to bed often and the first thing that we look at in the morning. Yeah, I feel it. I feel like I post content. I feel a lot of pressure to post Mm. content 
every day to keep up with this never ending churning machine. Yeah. And I also feel it like even in my, even in behind closed doors, like in my marriage, the first thing James will do when he wakes up in the morning is go on Instagram. Yeah. And when I fall asleep at night, I, I sleep in a very specific spot on his shoulder. <laughs> the last thing I see is him on Instagram. And I often think like, if it's giving me anxiety and I'm quite careful with it, I don't even know, again, we talk about checks in the post and certainly with the younger generations, it's quite scary. It is really quite scary. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I said to you I would have a little look into it because I know body dissatisfaction is at an all-time high. So I thought it'd be helpful just to get a few stats from the Mental Health Foundation, which is I based on, on the UK. And this was March last year. So one in five adults felt shame, one third felt low or down, and 19% felt disgusted because of their body image last year. Among teenagers, 37% felt upset, 31% felt ashamed in relation to their body image. Just over a third of adults said they had felt anxious or depressed because of their body image. One in eight adults experienced suicidal thoughts or feelings because of concerns about their body image. Just over one in five adults said images used in advertising has caused them to worry about their body image. And if we base our reality on what we expose ourselves to most often, we've got that comparative nature as humans anyway, where it possibly was you know, your neighbours down the road and what car they drove. This is in your face all the time, mm. 24-7, mm. trying to live up to these these impossible standards. And, you know, I definitely, I'm conscious that I don't want to make this a, a thing removed from the female um, experience because women have faced these expectations of their bodies for the last two centuries from even wearing body corsets and trying to contort and twist it into a certain way. But I think men are now getting a dose of that, that narrative the last mm. two decades of what we should look like you know yeah. what are the norms the gender norms of masculinity and femininity and how we should look i actually think it's one of those things where okay fine we can all stand up and say well we've had to deal with this for the last x amount of time but ultimately we are where we are and i think you're mm. right i think we're all in the same boat now i think the the main word in all of that which really spoke to me was adults adults one in five adults one in eight adults you know i think you kind of we assume that the younger generations, you know, the Kylie Jenner followers of of today are probably having some horrific issues with mm. their bodies and their faces, skin, hair, nails, all of it. Think about like adults. These are these are grown ass humans yeah. who with a bit of extra life experience and wisdom under their belt who are feeling quote unquote disgusted by their bodies. I mean, that is very, very telling and exactly what you said, full circle. Quite horrifying when you think of the younger generations, where are they going to be? Yeah, I think so. Because I think the expectation on us as adults as well is that we should be equipped with this stuff, mm. as in we should be equipped to deal with this. But this is just as new to us as it will be to the generations below us. So if we don't fully understand the impacts on our psyche and these ridiculous expectations that are put on us, even from being exposed to these super jacked action heroes as men or, you know, airbrushed, overly cosmetically enhanced and perhaps on the performance enhancing drug side of things, which is just as much prevalent in women as it is men, which is often a bit of a taboo not spoken about. Yeah. Uh, how do we best advise the younger generation if we're not fully equipped and understand how to deal with it ourselves? You know, it's interesting because I know that you're quite into your sci-fi and your film. Sorry to just hard left. Um, so am I. And I always say it to James, It like historically in sci-fi books and films and, and stories, the second that somebody can read minds and can hear what everybody else is thinking about them 24-7, mm. uh, historically is the second that they go insane, clinically insane. It's a theme in, in everything from kind of Buffy the Vampire Slayer to Star Trek, like however you, it's a theme, it's a thing that happens. And I feel like this is what social media is now. It's our gateway yeah. to read everybody's minds and hear and see what they think about us all the time. And it's just not going to end well. No, no. And actually, one of my my favourite, I guess my favourite villains, if you like, is the Joker had this theory, which he tried on Batman once. Sorry, I'm getting super geeky now. No, I love all, it. All, all, all it takes is one bad day. All it takes is one bad day just to push someone over the edge. And whilst I use that as a silly analogy or example, I think there's some truth in that. Is it, Everyone rides it out until they don't. Yeah. Like, um, and our mutual friend Emma will attest to this is my attitude and our attitude, I guess, is very much call out ideas. You can do that without calling out people. Yes. And, you know, we're all, we're all human. We all do it on occasion. But I think with mass influence and mass reach, 
you've got to take that stuff into consideration. Again, it's that shake, shaking up the hornet's nest and just directing the traffic of where where to target their anger. Because sometimes with that as well, which is sorry, I'm getting I'm getting quite wound up with it now. I love it with the demographic they have access to. So now we were talking about certain medics and how they might highlight stuff for content. That audience that deliberately curates their feed so they don't expose themselves to that stuff mm. have just you've just stuck that in their face. Yeah. So if you find it triggering and you're finding it triggering on behalf of them, for a start, we're going back to don't decide other people's experiences for them. Mm. You're bringing their attention to it. Yeah. You know, they may never have seen that if you hadn't brought it to their attention. But because you're on some social justice warrior bandwagon <laughs> mission in which you're saving the planet, which you're definitely not, just as a self-serving <laughs> ego thing, you feel it's you're, you're the best position or you're best positioned to present that to those people. And you're part of the problem. I couldn't agree more. And so, so what's your strategy in dealing with being obviously, look... People might be listening. I doubt they are because my, my listeners are badass. But I know I've had this row with Katie Hopkins very publicly in the past before. And I'm sure oh, that... She's a ray of sunshine. <laughs> she is a ray of sunshine. <laughs> um, another one who loves to incite a riot. But what I like is that typically people boomerang back against her. So that makes me really happy. But who would say, well, we'll just delete social media then and get off it. And the fact of the matter is, is that this is... I would say I, I generate 95% of my business through social media. So it's not that simple. Um, so I suppose the only thing that, that I... And I would guess this is what you're going to say. The only thing that you can do is tr- be very mindful of the content you put out. Like, how are you straddling this line between social media being a horrible, dangerous place and using it for, for what you need and, and for positivity? Yeah, I, I think I'm just... I'm a little bit hell-bent on keeping my... This can sound a very purist thing, but keeping my content as authentic and transparent to me and my audience as possible. Yeah. Which is why I think if, if you put stuff out to challenge others, challenge the ideas, not necessarily the people. And I have been guilty of the past in, you know, fading miserably at that. I'm very anti-bandwagon. So if it's something that everyone else is talking about, my deliberate rebellious streak doesn't want to talk about that. But I failed this week because I, I succumbed to that. But that's What did you succumb of, to? Was it the this morning debate? Yeah, I, I, but more so, I just wanted, I guess, from my client base point of view, my followers, not that I have a huge following, but just that, if you have been exposed to this, I don't want you to think they're a polarised, you know, unsympathetic, incompassionate people that aren't there to help yourself if you do want to intentionally lose weight. And it mm. bothers me slightly that I even have to call it intentional weight loss because, mm. again, it's that presumption that everyone's being bullied into losing weight. Mm. And actually, some people want to do it from a pace of love, like in a self-appreciation, an appreciation of what their bodies are capable of. So if I'm capable of doing this and transforming the way in which my body looks to enhance my own confidence, why shouldn't I? Mm. You know, I'm very much for body autonomy and supporting my clients where they're at. And and that, that whatever their goals look like is not for me to decide whether that goal is right for them. But I, th- I think where the, the borders get blurred almost is when people move into being an activist. Yeah. Because when you're an activist, you're no longer objective. It's all yeah. emotive. It's all emotionally led. It's all very self-serving. And I think it is very, very obvious, the virtue signaling at the moment, is very obvious that it's a self-serving thing to gain a following. And, and I, I back to that popularity contest thing, I think people with the purest intent will address nuance if you're an activist and you're not, you know. So just using the anti-diet debate, for example, again, there's some hugely valid points there. I've experienced weight stigma in myself. Yeah. No one changes due to being shamed or made to feel like it's, it's an imposition on them. They have to change. But at the same time, to categorically refuse to admit there's any positives to be associated for anyone in any population, a type 2 diabetic, type 2 lifestyle-induced diabetic, for example, that could possibly put their type 2 diabetes into remission by losing a bit of weight. Mm. That's that's how can you deny that dangerous again? that's yeah. dangerous again that's to use the word problematic that's just as problematic as all the other stuff diet culture wise you're pointing out and and also the fact that if you're helping people with weight loss that doesn't make you part of diet culture there's a, a distinct difference between these dangerous supplements that people take to lose weight drastically mm. to 
ethical client-centered coaching, which is, you know, what you and I do. I, I, I reject the, the point that we're all part of diet culture. That's not what we do. And also, isn't it interesting, though, that so many of these people who will stand up, and you're right, this is very also largely medic community. And it's ironic when coaches stand up and do it, because I'm like, what if, what do you do? Like, what, like I don't understand, I don't understand, yeah. like, I don't understand how, but sorry, the main thing that I'm trying to say here is that none of these people actually work like in the trenches with these clients every day. I work with hundreds of clients every day. You work with hundreds of clients. Emma works with hundreds of clients. All these people who we who are who are wanting to get fit, healthy, and like I said, like it or lump it, a lot of people do start with a physique goal. They want to look a certain way. And it doesn't necessarily end up there. I would say most of the time their focus will shift after at least a few weeks, um, if not a few months, the focus will shift eventually. All these people, uh, are we are working with them day in, day out to get mentally healthy, physically healthy, have a good relationship with their body, have a good relationship with food, and we're doing nothing but good. Well, I've never had a client turn around and say, you gave me a problem and I'm really unhappy. In fact, I get the polar opposite. I'm really happy. I can play with my kids. I understand. I can eat with my family now. I don't panic. Um, I understand, you know, <laughs> energy balance. It all makes sense to me now. And I personally think we're doing a fucking good job and, I, and I'm very proud of what we do for a living. And it really stings when somebody who's never had a client in their life, only their own experience with dieting, turns around and says, you guys are doing a bad job. It's just not fair. And it's it's incredibly short-sighted and exactly what you said. It's essentially using their own ex- experience to virtue signal to others who've had that negative experience. And it's not solving the problem, it's perpetuating the problem. Absolutely. Again, it's just it's just making people angrier. But there's also this this same presumption almost that by tracking your calories for one day on my fitness pal which if we're talking about building up the educational process i think it's, it's helpful for anyone to be mindful of their energy intake not not necessarily for aesthetics goals but just yeah. in terms of quantifying things which people just don't do they tend to go on what looks good what what they think will taste good they don't think about the energy density point of it even if they're just checking labels not even yeah. scanning things on my fitness pal but to almost suggest that if you spend a day tracking your calories on my fitness pal you're going to develop an eating disorder overnight is is just very short-sighted like don't get me risk with continued dieting there's always going to be a risk factor involved and i think that's an important point to acknowledge yeah but for the largest proportion because it's not for us to nanny people yeah because also the thing about eating disorders those with eating disorders you don't have to remove the caloric density from menus and things like that they are masters at finding that stuff out yeah <laughs> as if they don't know what's in everything yeah. <laughs> yeah it's it's so so multifactorial so the same as there there are a huge number of factors that contribute to obesity there's a myriad and a huge number of factors that contribute towards eating disorders as well mm. and often accompanying mental illness mm. yeah so it's, 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 it's not as simple as, it's, this is, you know, people don't get obese overnight. People don't develop eating disorders overnight. It's this culture of we're being quick to diagnose and again, decide other people's experiences for them. I think that's my most said quote on this whole podcast. No, but, it's, <laughs> but I don't think it's said enough. Like, I think I quoted Emma saying it. She said it a couple of times. It's so true. Like, it's like having a horrible relationship and then turning around at the end of it and being like, I, none of my friends are allowed to be in a relationship now because it's going to be horrible. It's like, yeah. what are you talking about? And that's how, sorry to make to draw a very weird analogy there, but that's how ridiculous it is. And I think if you're standing on the outside of it or you have had a bad experience, then yeah, you can be like, oh, these are my people and you rally up against it. But it's not accurate. And like I said, I'll just full circle it and repeat it again. It's not part of the solution. It's part of the problem. We can make this better we can make female and male body image and approach to energy balance let's not call it dieting let's call it energy balance we can make it healthy we can make it positive it doesn't when as soon as you shut down information you basically give them nothing but a fad diet and that's going to be a negative experience absolutely yeah i think so and i think again we're in this position at the moment where people are less almost less concerned with actually being helpful and and more just getting their voice heard. And unfortunately, these polarised and extreme views are the ones that shout the loudest. I know. Um, and it just it's deafening. And it's even more confusing as a consumer. People yeah. aren't any clearer. And I think this is true historically. But the line between being a, a leader and being an egomaniac 
is very blurry. And I think you just have to look back in history to see it time and time and time again. I mean, most recently with Trump. (laughs) Every time I badmouth Trump, I get threats online. (laughs) All my block list is just like the Confederate flag and Donald Trump. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, Okay, Dan, we've been going for an hour and I've absolutely loved every second of this. I hope that, honestly, I hope people listening, male, female, physique, non-physique, clients, coaches, found this at least something to think about, even if you disagreed with anything we said. Like, I think these conversations need to be had, especially now. Um, And Dan, I I can't think of a better person I could have picked to come on the podcast and have it with. I'm going to do with you what I do with all of my guests. And I'm just going to give you the floor for a few seconds or a few minutes, however long you want, to promote anything you want to promote, to say anything that you think is important to leave listeners with and then we'll wrap it up oh wow okay uh, you didn't prepare me for this one did you i'm, I'm <laughs> easily found is I'm, I'm not going to overly plug the dot dan dot osman on instagram is probably the, the best place to find me with stories and uh, content like that if i can provoke just a bit of thought it's not about getting people on the same page it's about getting people to to think differently i think sometimes very much how i work as and my coaching ethos is non-prescriptive it's very much descriptive and giving people the tools to make their own most informed decisions I'm certainly not going to tell people what they should they shouldn't do and I guess any bit advice that I would give anyone was a bit of advice given to me years ago which has changed a bit a little bit with the the social media spaces what other people think of you is absolutely none of your business so (laughs) if you're on a bit of a mission just be committed to your message and what you want to promote and try and concern you less with what other people are doing because it can be hugely influential and it can detract you sometimes you know when you if it comes to writing educational content on your social media platform if you expose yourself too much that might be influencing your decisions in that day to write something that could truly be helpful for others because you're getting into instagram spats which again just contributes to the noise so i just want to say thank you for having me on as well hugely honored to be on Um, I really enjoyed that I've loved it I've absolutely loved it and everybody I can't recommend following Dan enough Um, I know just from some coaching feedback I've read of his that he's a fantastic coach as well and also just in terms of your content it's very individual it definitely stands apart from everybody else's and well well worth a follow no but also the thought that goes into it you're very well written as well which is rare and I yeah I cannot recommend I cannot recommend you and what you do enough so thank you it's been a pleasure and everybody tune in next week for another amazing guest That does it for today's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please remember to hit that subscribe button or that follow link so that you can be notified as soon as new episodes are released. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Chloe for more health and fitness posts. Sports Social Podcast Network.